Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here for our Bible Hour time. I trust you've all received the outlines. Sure appreciate your basic young men for distributing those for us. And trust that they'll be helpful to you as you may take some notes during our time at the Bible Hour today. We do thank the Lord for the memorial service for Kristen yesterday and trust for the continued ministry of the Spirit of God to the Philip and Robinson families as they continue to grieve. Thank God that we don't grieve as others who have no hope. How we look forward to seeing Kristen and so many that have gone on before being here at the assembly for 50 years. One realizes the number of folks that have gone on to glory during that half century's time. And in some ways, there is the ministry of God to us to turn our minds and hearts in a larger way than we ever would in our regular lives toward our true home, and that is heaven that we find that we have more friends there than we have here. And so it gives us a longing in our hearts and in our minds toward that heavenly home. And I thank the Lord for that, to set our affections on things that are in heaven rather than things that are in earth, and to realize that that is our true home and looking forward to being there. I'm thankful for the memorial service also for bringing friends uh, back to the assembly. Joseph and Molly, it's so good to see you. Just wonderful to have you here. Mickey said it well. We miss you, miss you a lot, but glad that you're with us for this Lord's Day. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Titus chapter 3. To be truly 21st century, I suppose I should say, turn in your Bibles or your devices to... Titus chapter 3. This morning, Lord willing, we'll be looking at a topic and a task that was presented to Titus in his work on Crete in the local churches there. There were problem practices, people participating in those practices, and there's a procedure to deal with the problems and the people that's given to us today. Next week, A.B. Varghese will be presenting to you one of the treasures that's in Titus from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. It will sparkle like a diamond. My portion will be the dark background against which you may see this treasure more clearly. It's like the dark velvet background that helps display the beauty of a diamond when you're looking at it. It brings a contrast between the two. The reason A.B. and I have switched order in the presentation of me taking Titus uh, 3, 9 through 11 first, and him taking 4 through 8 next week, is that that's worked out, that's what worked out best for our schedules. We accommodate one another like this. Thanks for your understanding. The change in order will not hurt the ministry or the understanding of the scripture in any way. The scripture itself presents the contrast between the two passages. Please look at the end of Titus 3, 8. 
It says there <clears throat> in Titus 3.8, I want you to insist on these things. These things are excellent and profitable for people. At the end of 3.8, it says the things that you'll learn from A.B. next week, those are excellent and profitable. But now there's a marked contrast. Let's look at the end of uh, 3.9. It says that the things that I'll be talking about today are unprofitable and worthless. So we have the contrast that's given to you there in Scripture. And <clears throat> Bernie, I see the smile on your face as I said, what you'll hear today is worthless and profitless and <laughs> unprofitable. So <laughs> uh, that's what you'll be hearing from me today. What we'll be looking at today is in contrast with next week's treasure. We'll be looking at things that are unprofitable and worthless. It's important for us to know these unprofitable and worthless things what they are, as they may appear at Northern Hills in the months and years to come. I want to emphasize they may appear here at Northern Hills. There's certainly no plans for that. It's important for the leaders of the assembly to be aware of problem practices, people participating in those practices and procedures to follow in connection with the people and the problems. I do want to say... Uh, this is not the usual thing that you would expect at a Bible hour. I don't know how comforting or encouraging or particularly enlightening this will be for you, but it's the value of going through the Scripture books at a time and that we're able to cover topics that probably wouldn't be covered under normal circumstances. So that's the type of message that you'll be hearing today. It is a difficult passage Perhaps difficult is not the right word. Uh, perhaps an unpleasant passage would be a better word to state it, but an important one. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the fullness of the word of God. It's profitable, profitable for instruction, for reproof, for correction, uh, for instruction in righteousness that we might be completely prepared perfected the word is uh, given to us in scripture and so lord uh, this is a portion that we need to have that uh, doctrine reproof and correction and so we thank you for it help us to receive it as a part of your word and again it's uh, not the most pleasant parts of the scripture but it's a necessary one for us to be aware of so we ask your blessing upon the time do continue to minister to those in the Robinson and Philip and Chaco families, Lord. Thank you for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will gather us home to heaven to be with him. Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray for Debbie Brown, too, Lord. She is afflicted and afflicted mightily with the infection that she has in her leg. It needs to be corrected and pray that she'll be gaining weight and that she'll be able to do the therapy exercises that's needed for her to recover. So we just commit Debbie and Cliff to you today. And thank you for the good report by Margie Reed about the infusions that she's getting. Uh, they're apparently effective and there's been no no side effects from them, Lord, so we praise your name. Just commit these dear ones to you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read 
Titus, the last part of verse 8 through verse 11. These things are excellent and profitable. That's what you'll learn about next week. Now starting in verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. May God bless and help with the understanding and the reading of his word. Titus has been already warned about those Jewish Christians who are of the circumcised party in chapter 1, verse 10. I spoke on that passage before. These people wanted to add the law to the gospel, claiming that more had to be added to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. This is wrong. Salvation is by grace through faith. The salvation is affected by our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Titus was told that those of the circumcision party must be silenced. Titus is to direct the elders in the various Cretan churches that they have a responsibility to protect the assembly of believers and the doctrine of salvation by faith and faith alone for salvation. Titus is now told things that he's to avoid. So let's look at the problem practices that are listed here. It says in verse 9, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. So let's think about these problem practices. Foolish controversies are questions. There are many questions that get us off the major issue or the main issue that stands before us. And that is, what do we say to a holy God when we appear before him as a sinful person? How will God judge me for the sins that I've committed in my life? That is the issue. That is the question. It's what starts from the beginning of the Bible in chapter 3 with the sin of Adam and Eve and how God can resolve the fact that there is sinful mankind into his holy presence. How to bring them into the family of God. That is the issue. And as I'm speaking to you today about these other things, if you miss that point, then you're missing the thrust and the emphasis of the entire scripture. What God is interested in you about today, about with you, is do you know him as your savior or not? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or aren't you? Are you in the family of God or outside it? Dear friend, to be so blunt, are you bound for heaven or are you condemned to hell? That's the issue. That's the question. And there are other foolish questions and controversies that come up. If they divert you from that essential question, they are worthless. Let that question be settled and praise God it can be settled today. Today can be the day of salvation. May God let it be so in your life. There are many questions that get us off this issue. What will God do with me as a sinful person? How will God judge me for the sins that I've committed? 
What will he do with me? That's the vital question and is the question that Scripture always puts before us. Now we can start to ask a whole variety of questions. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? What kind of fruit was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Where did Cain get his wife? How did Noah get all the animals in the ark? How is it possible for eight people to feed all the animals and clean up all the mess from the animals and do this for an entire year while locked on a small vessel? What language did people speak before the Tower of Babel? How is it possible for the pre-flood antediluvian people to live for hundreds of years? There are many other questions that are probably impossible to answer and have little or nothing to do with the essential question, what reason can I give to a holy God to enter into heaven? What will God do with me, a sinner? How can I be saved? On Wednesday nights, we have King's Club, and I've gone through Pilgrim's Progress with the boys and girls, and they're at the last portion of the story of Pilgrim's Progress. They're going along, and a man named Ignorance comes along. Now, ignorance ignores, that's why he's called ignorance. He ignores the gospel message that both hopeful and Christian give to him. And he dismisses it. And then he comes to them again in their pilgrim walk. And again, they give to him the gospel, the way that he can be saved. He ignores it again. He gives his own reasons for ignoring the issue that's brought before him. What will God do with you when you come to try to present yourself at heaven? And then a final time before hopeful and Christian are about to go through the river and come out on the other side and go to the gates of heaven with this glorious, grand, angelic choir and trumpeting as they come in. And there they see their friends from the past and they see faithful who was martyred in the vanity fair, and it's just this glorious, wonderful thing. And ignorance is there coming to the river, but a little farther down the river. And then there's a man in a boat that comes along. And his name is Mr. Vain Hope. And he encourages ignorance to get into the boat. And he rows him across the river. He doesn't go across the river. The river is death. And all of a sudden, Mr. Ignorance is feeling awfully comfortable. This isn't so bad. And he comes to a door. Who is it? Why, I'm Mr. Ignorance. I'm coming to get into the, into the glory of heaven. What do you have to present so that you might be let in? Now, again, this is the contrast. It's a beautiful gate, a grand and glorious gate that bring in Christian and hopeful. They're greeted with these angelic choirs because they have a presentation to give. And that is, I've been to the cross and my sins have been forgiven. I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's the authority in which I'm greeted and they're welcomed joyfully into heaven. But there at a locked door is ignorance. What do you have to say to bring yourself into heaven? And all of these pitiful excuses come. 
Well, I'm the member of several very good organizations. I've done the best I could. I really didn't understand what I was being told as far as the gospel was concerned. I, I have many reasons why I should be allowed through this door and the door remains locked and shut. And boy, is this a painful thing to tell these boys and girls. You see, I then take the picture of ignorance and I go to a place where the picture is of ignorance being held by two angels. They've been ordered by the person who's calling on the other side of this wall to heaven. And John Bunyan does it so dramatically and so authoritatively there in Pilgrim's Progress. They take ignorance and he is bound and they bring him to a door that was encountered earlier before. It's not a door to heaven. It is a door to the awful, terrible grief of hell. And there he is bound forever. Boy, I don't like telling you that story. And how hard it was to tell the girls and boys that story. I cannot preach any other gospel. I think I've told you here many times, I sure would like to preach a gospel. Everyone comes to heaven. (laughs) Everyone gets there. On the authority of the word of God, I can't preach that gospel. There's a choice. Faith or not faith. Belief or not belief. Heaven or hell. Christ or not Christ. And so with, with that in mind, that's the essential question. These other foolish controversies, they have nothing to do with that. And we can easily get caught up in them. Titus is told here to avoid foolish controversies. Please don't be like ignorance today. If, if you don't understand the gospel, stop me. Stop the other elders here. If you're a lady, stop one of the older women here. They'll be glad to explain the gospel thoroughly to you so that you have the absolute, complete opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't resist. Don't put it off. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you now this morning, listen for your eternal good. Don't let other foolish questions come up in your mind to divert you in one direction or another. Avoid those. Stick with the essential question. Am I saved or not? The next thing to avoid is genealogies. There are genealogies in Scripture that are informative, interesting, and important. Genealogies of the Lord Jesus found in Matthew and Luke are precious to us. The tracing of the Lord's lineage back to Abraham and Matthew and back to Adam and Luke. They're so wonderful to study. We have the statement, Through you all nations shall be blessed in tracing the Lord's lineage back to Abraham. And then we have the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the lineage is traced back to Adam and Luke. So 
genealogies are wonderful. The genealogy of Matthew, there are four women that are brought into the line of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a blessing to study them. Their names are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, each with their own particular story, their unique story. And some of them go into the areas of abuse, of being lost, <laughs> of being hopelessly outside the nation of Israel, but they're brought in by the grace of God. And God loves these women and cherishes them and has them in the line of Christ. The genealogies in Genesis chapters 4 and 5, the line of Cain and the line of Seth, they have wonderful instruction for us as far as the difference between existence and life. Those that came from the line of Cain, they were a talented intelligent, clever group of people. Uh, They created business. They created music. They created uh, metallurgy. And it's plainly said there, but all they did was exist. In the line of Seth, the line of faith, those people in that genealogy, they lived and then they died. But I'll never forget John Phillips saying here in that marvelous Welsh accent, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. (laughs) That though those people died, they were precious in the sight of the Lord because of their faith. That's what we thought about with Kristen yesterday. As difficult and as hard as it is for us to accept that death, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of that dear saint. Brought into glory for him. So there's a value in the genealogies, but that's not what's being talked about here by Titus. Here's what the genealogies were used for. They were used for tracing one's genealogy back to a particular person, such as David or Moses or Abraham or Joseph or whoever it might be, for the point of pride in one's background, to earn merit in the eyes of others. It was a feature of the Jewish people that were part of the circumcision is that they were related in some way to others and they would use that as a bragging point to bring themselves up in the esteem of others. And Titus is instructed, avoid those things. Listen, dear ones, we're all equal here. Please listen, we're all equal in God's sight. Before we're saved, we are all sinners. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. (laughs) I remember there was a baseball player who got saved. He was a rough and ready fellow. He was on TV giving his testimony. He said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now I want to give the Greek meaning for the word all. It means all. We're all equal in God's sight. We're all sinners. But then, praise God, when you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're all equal again. We are all in the family of God. We're all treasured by God. We're all valued by Him. There is no level or status among the believers that are here this morning. We are all a part of the family of God. We all have one Father. Let's never, ever get into the place where we start to cite our family's background or our pedigree or in some way tracing ourselves to a 
particular branch of the faith. Here's my pedigree. God is my Father. Jesus Christ is my Savior. The Spirit of God lives within. And the triune God presents me worthy for eternity through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. You're my brothers and sisters. And that's as far as the genealogy has to go. We have controversies, genealogies, and then dissensions. The Lord encounters these kinds of things. Here are questions put to the Lord. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? Uh, Who is my neighbor? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Uh, Moses said that we could do that. Uh, Master, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the law of Moses commanded us that she should be stoned, but what do you say? A dissension is an issue that is designed to cause division among believers. I'm going to say that again. A dissension is a question or an issue that is designed to cause division among believers. Dave Reed says dissensions bring a great deal of heat and almost no light. The purpose of a dissenting or a dissension question is just to stir up problems because of the nature of the question. Now, the Lord masterfully was able to answer the questions that were put to him. Please, dear one, we're going to avoid uh, dissension questions. The only purpose you have in the question is to stir up strife and difficulty. We're going to avoid those. Avoid genealogies, avoid foolish questions, avoid dissensions. And now here's the last one, questions about the law. The Lord encounters these as well. Here are some questions about the law. How is it your disciples are breaking the Sabbath by taking wheat from the field, warn them a second, and eating the grain to sift you like wheat, you're going to be... And rubbing the husks and eating the grain for a snack, they're working on the Sabbath. That shouldn't be done. How can you heal on the Sabbath? How can you possibly be doing that work on the Sabbath? A man had a wife, and the man died. His six brothers, in turn, then married the widow. Finally, she died childless. Now, in heaven, whose wife will she be? Why can't you boil a a goat kid in its mother's milk? That's one that I've heard many, many times. What do you make of this, Phil? You know... What do you think about this particular question? It says it right there in the scripture. Give me an answer to that, will you? A quarrel about the law is usually a side issue about some detail which can be settled or left unsettled using grace, love, understanding, and care. There may not be a right or definitive answer to these issues. Nor is it important that we find a definitive answer to these issues. We may have to wait until glory for the Lord to sort out some of these issues and questions for us. 
A lot of these questions are questions that we can't answer or we have different points of view on. And we're going to live with those and live with one another happily, joyfully. Titus is told, don't get drawn into these. Avoid them. We as an assembly are to avoid these things as well. Can we be just as bad in 21st century Cincinnati, Ohio? Which version of the Bible, Phil? King James? ESV? NIV? What should we have? Leavened or unleavened bread at the breaking of bread? How about wine or grape juice? What is the divinely inspired schedule of meetings on Sundays? Uh, are you pre-trib or mid-trib as far as the rapture is concerned? What about musical instruments? Shouldn't we be singing a cappella? Public school, Christian school, home school? Lots of other issues. I have points of view on these subjects. I know many of you have definite points of view on these subjects. We have points of view on church government, eschatology, that's future events, and other topics. None of these things have anything to do with our salvation and in the complete work of Jesus Christ. None of these things come into the discussion with the Philippian jailer when he comes into Paul and Silas and comes before them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What did they say to him there in the jail? Now, is that Septuagint that you're, that you're asking about or is that uh, some other version of the Hebrew Scripture? What a ridiculous thing. What's your position before we get down to brass tacks about your salvation? How do you really feel about Caesar as your boss? This is painfully ridiculous. These questions have no place in stirring up problems and difficulties and absolutely no place as far as the gospel is concerned. We will not be more saved if we believe and understand the right things after you're saved. Now let me make sure I get that to you again. You will not be more saved if you believe the, quote, right things after you're saved. Okay, you're saved. Great. Now, now I've got you. Now what do you think about the various issues and things? Your salvation is set. Now, let's get into some controversy here. Let's stir things up. No, we're not going to do that. We're told very directly here in the Scripture, avoid those things. I think I can speak for the other elders here. We're not going to allow that to tear apart the fellowship here at Northern Hills. Am I saying that right, brother? Just not going to allow it. That's a part of the shepherd's job. To maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. We can spend an awful lot of time and energy, emotions and possibly hurt feelings, anger 
and irritation when we bring these kinds of issues up among us. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Now the problem is there in Crete and as it would be uh, anywhere, it's not just the ideas, questions, controversies, genealogies, but it's people participating in them. And it's addressed here in the note to Titus. These problem practices were being done by people. These practices aren't just topics that are isolated, but people are bringing these practices into the church. Paul now describes these people in verse 10a through 11. Let's read that. A person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Plain, direct, clear, understandable, unambiguous language. Someone who persists in bringing up foolishly controversial items and issues that bring dissension, legal questions about our lives, is a sinful and self-condemned person. They are twisted and warped. Extrafo, that's what the Greek word is. It's used here. It means to turn a garment inside out, to pervert or to corrupt. Again, very strong language. Such a person who persists in bringing up such things are harmful to the fellowship and to the unity of believers. Sowing discord among the brethren, according to Proverbs 6.19, is one of the things that the Lord hates. Now, does this mean you can never bring up a controversial question or passage in Scripture? Of course not. Here in the church is where we can discuss these things. It's where we can talk and discuss freely and exchange points of view without fear of being judged, condemned, or thought of as less spiritual because of a different thought on a portion of Scripture. I want to say that again. You can bring up controversial topics here and we can discuss them without fear of being judged, condemned, or thought of as less spiritual because of a different point of view on a portion of Scripture. Here is where we accept different points of view. Our understanding of a point of view that we don't hold to realize that the brother or sister may have a legitimate point of view and continue on in mutual, happy fellowship, accommodating one another in our conduct, in our thoughts, and in our prayers as we minister together in the assembly. It's the line by Dave Glock once again. If you hold the gun to my head and you ask me to deny the deity of Christ, pull the trigger. I'm ready to die for that. If you ask me about the pre-tribulation return of Christ, you'll see me becoming awfully flexible really fast. Don't pull the trigger. There are different points of view on that. And you can legitimately defend it. And you can have that point of view here in the assembly 
And we still have mutual fellowship with one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. Now what's taught from the pulpit may be different than you hold to, but we're letting you know there are legitimate differences. I can remember for years, and George Bailey was here. (laughs) George Bailey, not the guy from It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey stood about this tall, I don't want to say pugnacious exactly. (laughs) But boy, oh boy, if you locked horns with with George, and I'm not talking about spiritual topics, George was the administrator of the Hamilton County Health Administration. He had power here in Hamilton County, unbridled power. And I can remember during the years of the Big Red Machine, there at Riverfront Coliseum, not stadium, or not Great American Ballpark, at Riverfront Coliseum, places packed all the time. And to get the food out efficiently, the refrigeration was being done improperly because they said, well, we're going to sell the stuff quicker, quickly anyway. And so George said, <clears throat> you get that refrigeration and get it correct. I'll be back here tomorrow to inspect. It was, a, I think, a three-game series, and the Saturday game was going to be televised uh, nationally on uh, Game of the Week. And so George Bailey told the uh, Reds administration and those that ran the concessions, you get those refrigerators up down to the right temperature to get those things that are supposed to be refrigerated to the correct temperature. And they said, what are you going to do, call off the game? He said, yes, I will. Well, the Reds pushed back. They called the city council. They called the mayor. They called the governor. And George Bailey said, I don't care who calls me. I have a federal law that I am bound to enforce, and I'm going to. This is what the temperature is going to be. Then George (laughs) had the Hamilton County police surround Riverfront Coliseum at 8 o'clock in the morning. There's not a person who's going to cross this line until the refrigeration is correct. You couldn't believe how fast the refrigerators got there. (laughs) They got extra things there to make sure that the temperature is down. And there were then uh, men from the Hamilton County Health Department measuring what the temperature was supposed to be. That's the kind of, I'm giving you that background so you know what George was like. Okay, George and I didn't agree on several things. And this older man put his arm on my shoulder and he said, you know, Phil, that's not going to stop us from fellowshipping and ministering together here in this assembly. Why is that, George? Listen to this reply. Because I won't let it. What a man of God. Willing to set aside his own preferences for the purpose of the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. See, George could have come up to me like this. Hey, listen, you better agree with me, you punk. (laughs) You silly little kid with your immature points of view. I'm 30 years older than you and I've got so much more experience than you and yet 
No, no, no. The graciousness, the goodness, the absolute intentionalness of George Bailey to make sure that nothing would be come in to bother or hurt. We have an electric word here in the King James Version in verse 10. It says, a man that is a heretic. This word is found only here in Titus in the scripture. We move quickly to the thought when we say heretic of someone holding false doctrine and heresy. The word's meaning is to choose or to make a deliberate choice. As a result, many made a deliberate choice about false doctrine. And as a result, there was division, factiousness, and schisms. Perhaps as Paul wrote to Titus, there were some folks in the Cretan churches who were in fact heretics, holding to false doctrine about the law being a part of salvation, being required. That's a false gospel, and we reject it. And Paul says in Galatians that if someone comes to you preaching another gospel other than salvation by faith and faith alone, let that person be accursed. He goes a step beyond that. He says, even if an angel from heaven would come and present that false gospel, let that person be accursed. Let's be clear about this here at Northern Hills. We will have no other gospel. We stand in the doctrine of salvation by faith. We will not compromise. This should be known and understood by all here in the fellowship. This is the faith we're to guard, protect, and proclaim. However, it also seems that there are folks in the Cretan assemblies who were true Christians but that they persisted in bringing up foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels just for the purpose of causing division in the church. They're believers, but they bring up these things just to cause problems. That's the group that's now going to be addressed here in this portion. Let me state this. All heretics bring division to the church. Not all people bringing division to the church are heretics. Let me say that again. All heretics bring division to the church. They're proclaiming false doctrine. But not all people bringing division to the church are heretics. There may be people who bring division that are believers. But they're persisting in bringing up these things that we're told here to avoid. All right. The procedures to be followed. It's very clear to us. Let's read Verse 10 again, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. What are the elders to do when confronted by the problems and Christian people who we've been discussing? Again, the words are clear, direct, even precise. For a believer who is stirring up division in the church by persistently bringing up a divisive issue, this is what is to be done. Warn them to stop. Do this once. Then see what happens. If the divisiveness stops, praise the Lord. And we continue with the ministry the Lord has given to us in this local church. If the problem continues, then we're to do this. Warn them a second time. If the divisiveness stops, praise the Lord and continue with the God-given ministry that God's given to us here at the assembly. If the person and the problem persists, continues, 
then we do this, have nothing more to do with that person. Now, what does that mean? It means the person would no longer be in fellowship at the church. It would be announced to the assembly describing the problem, describing the two meetings and warnings that had taken place with the person, and now it's necessary for the person to no longer be in the meeting. The commentators that I have read use the term excommunicate in this situation. I don't know that the words in the page can really communicate just how painful. This would not be an easy experience for the elders or for the assembly. May the Lord prepare us for such a time if it would ever be needed here at Northern Hills. This is one of the portions that we would go to for our guidance and actions that we would take. How we thank the Lord that such an action has not been needed in our years here at the assembly. Praise God for the fact that this has not been needed here at Northern Hills. May it never be so. Now, we have had to exercise discipline in matters of persistent sin by believers at the assembly, and some of you here have been witness to that. Again, it's such an extraordinarily hard time. The purpose of any discipline is restoration. The purpose of any discipline is to see that person restored. If we're a group of true shepherds and there is the need to exercise such discipline, it's not to be displaying our authority or imposing our will on someone else or to in some way cause pain and hurt to that person for no purpose. It's rather to exercise that discipline for the purpose of drawing them back. It is Paul speaking of delivering people to Satan in the hope that there would be repentance and coming back. It is Peter being prayed for by the Lord. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Satan's desire to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when the time comes that you'll turn around, then I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to be a a blessed, glorious foundation stone. I want you to write the great portions of Scripture that you're going to write. The purpose of this awful act that you're going to commit and Satan using you for a a moment of time to sift you like wheat, you're going to be restored. I've prayed for you. That's the purpose of discipline. There are other passages that we look to for discipline at the assembly, such as Matthew 18, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Corinthians 5, and other passages. As you can see, this is an area where loving, resolved, wise leadership with a shepherd's care for sheep is needed by the elders. There is the need to discern the nature of the divisive behavior and the need to intervene with the resolve according to the directives of Scripture. 
with the support of the assembly as the actions are taken. We would not ever want the need for discipline to create division in the assembly. Now, on the first Sunday in May, I'll be speaking about humility and humbleness from the book of Philippians there. There was a problem in that church. Two women, they had a controversy. The controversy itself is not named, but the assembly was starting to take sides with the women. And so it's now necessary for Paul to instruct about how to bring resolution and bring the assembly back together and make sure that there's nothing that causes divisiveness. We would never want an exercise of discipline on the part of the elders to bring about additional divisiveness to the assembly. Now, having said all that, please pray for the elders, for God's help. Pray for the assembly. Pray for us that that, that the, the awfulness of false doctrine would never enter in here. That we would be true to the word of God, true to the gospel, and have no need for such a passage of scripture to be applied here in our midst. Mickey, I'm sorry if I'm talking quietly. <laughs> I hope you can hear me back there. I'm I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> but we're going to obey what the word of God says. May God in his grace keep us from, from such problems. Such people participating in such problems and from such procedures being needed. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, your great grace is upon us here. We have seen people saved. We've seen people baptized. We've seen people grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, dear God, multiply. Multiply. Oh, Lord, the crying of little children at the Lord's Supper, how we delight in it as these babes that are in our midst are giving voice to life. Dear Lord, let the crying of babes in Jesus Christ, new believers, be heard among us. And may we rejoice at their crying, at their crying out in joy of salvation. Dear Lord, help us as we carry the gospel with us to neighbors, to friends, to colleagues, to fellow students. Dear Lord, bless the work of the folks there at Northern Kentucky. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're giving their lives out. They're instructing They had a time there in North Carolina where kids heard the gospel. Lord, save them, we pray. Bring them to Jesus Christ. And then, Father, we pray for this to be a place where we can freely and openly discuss different points of view, but never, ever diminish one another in disagreements that we might have. But just to realize we disagree and that we can go on in fellowship, in ministry together for your glory and for your praise. Thank you today for this portion in the word of God and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.